This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, Rabbi Pakis is going to introduce me now. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm starting over. I'm joking, I'm joking. It's on? Yeah, but it, 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 it didn't skip anything. Okay. So here's the question. Here's the million dollar question for today. God has many names. Yudkei Vavkei. Yudkei Vavkei, when we make a blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God. Yudkei Vavkei means Haya Haiveviya. He was, is, and he will be. God has a name Eloi Kim, which means he's the master of all power. God has a name Tzavakais, master of legions. He has a name Shakai. Why, when it comes to the month of Elul, all of a sudden we use a new name for God, my beloved? I am for my beloved, and my beloved is for me. Why don't we say, Ani Lashem, Vashem Li, I am for God, and God is for me. Or, Ani Leiloikim, Ani Lishakai, Ani Litzvakos. Those are the more usual, typical names of Hashem. Why, in the context of the month of Elul, do we specifically employ the phraseology, Lidoidi? Why, in the month of Elul, do we call God our beloved? Now, I want to share with you a very important idea. And this is not a politically correct idea. But I unapologetically want to share with you the viewpoint of the Torah that there's a special gift in this world. That is the gift of tshuva, the gift of repentance. And you have to understand that repentance we cannot take for granted. Because if somebody commits a sin, somebody does something wrong, how can you uproot from the reality the wrongdoing? So the person who sinned should have to face some kind of penalty or cleansing process. But to say, well, I, by the way, do you know what tshuva is? Many, many people always hear the concept of tshuva or we talk about tshuva, but don't exactly know what are the mechanics and the details. What exactly is repentance? It's three easy steps. One, you have to stop sinning. Azivas hachet. You have to stop. If you're continuing to do it, there's no way to repent. There's no way to erase it. Stop. Number two, confess. Don't beat around the bush. You can't say, nah, I'm not, I didn't really do anything wrong. It's not my fault. I always tell my kids, the worst thing you could say is it's not my fault. I want you to say, I bear responsibility for what I did. I don't want to hear it's not your fault. Not my fault. I, no, if you say it's not your fault, then you're not recognizing what you did. So the second step is you have to confess what you did. And the third is you have to regret it. If you do, do those three, you fulfill those three conditions, that is teshuva, repentance. Stop, confess, regret. You know, like stop, drop, and roll? Stop, confess, regret. Those are the three key ingredients of teshuva. And the fact that teshuva is effective is, is a great novelty. It's a great gift. Let's say somebody committed a sin. Let's say somebody spoke derogatorily about somebody else. Somebody spoke Lashon Hara. Okay. It's very nice you regret it. It's very nice you confessing your sin. It's very nice you committed not to do it again. But you did it! You did it! You can't remove from reality the act that you did. And yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given a great gift 
that if you do repent, if you repent, again, you confess, you don't confess to the rabbi. The rabbi doesn't want to know what you did. He's not interested, and it's ineffective. You have to, you stand before God, you confess, Ta'akadosh Baruch Hu, I did, I did the sin, I regret the sin, and <clears throat> I'm stopping to do it. Hashem has given us a gift that if we do that, He removes from the record any, any mention, any official record of the sin. It's off the slate, the soul has been cleansed. The fact that we're able to do that is a very great, great gift. And the question is, has this gift been given to all of mankind? And the answer is absolutely not. The gift of tshuva is a special gift only given to the Jewish people. The nations of the world have not been given the gift of tshuva. Where does that come from? Where does it say that? There are many uh, authentic sources. The Medrash tells us on the verse... Yisa Hashem God will show grace to you, says the Medrash in number four. It's a Medrash Tanchuma. To you and not to any of the nations of the world. Furthermore, one of the classic svarim of Jewish thought is called Beis Eloikim. Beis Eloikim was written by Rabbi Moshe Matrani, a 16th century mystic of Safad, a contemporary of Arizal. He also writes that teshuva primarily was given to the Jewish people. And this is something we have to think about. First of all, may, many of you may be bothered. Well, the story of Yonah. Yonah goes to the city of Nineveh and he tells them, Repent! Repent! And they weren't Jewish. And that's a very important question to deal with. And the, the basic answer is that their teshuva ultimately was not accepted. It was able to defer punishment for 120 years. But it could not wipe off the slate the sins they committed. That is a gift given only to the Jewish people. The question is why? Either teshuva works or it doesn't work. Either it's effective or it's not effective. If it's effective, then all mankind should have the right to enjoy the benefits of tshuva. And if it's not effective, then how are we able to do tshuva? And there's really an amazing approach. This approach is brought in many classic sources, most notably the Chida. Now the Chida is one of my all-time favorite Torah giants. He was a great rabbi of the 18th century, of Sephardic origin. He came from Yerushalayim. And he spent a good deal of his life traveling throughout the Jewish world, going to different libraries, studying manuscripts, collecting funds for the Torah sages of Israel, and then printing Svarim, which he did in Livarno. He passed away in Livarno, and in this century, his remains were brought to Har Menuchos in uh, Yerushalayim, and the Chida is buried in Yerushalayim. So on your next stop to Jerusalem, you're going to go to the Western Wall, wherever you may go, you may go to uh, the Kever Rachel, Yad Vashem, Make sure you go to Har Menuchos, to the Kever of the Chida. I, I don't miss it. The Chida is one of the most interesting personalities. The Chida writes, Why should the gift of tshuva be given only to the Jewish people? Listen very carefully. You ever hear how they say, God, He's the Father of all mankind. We're all His children. It's a bunch of rubbish. It's not true. We are not all His children. 
All of mankind are the handiwork of God. We are all the creations of God. All of mankind deserves respect, honor, dignity, kindness. But not all of mankind are God's children. Only the Jewish people are the children of Hashem. This is one of the fundamental principles of the Torah. The Chidah says this is the most important principle of the Torah. And if you say, well, that doesn't sound right, that sounds prejudiced, it sounds biased. Really? Imagine you're walking with your children, and somebody across the street said, hey, why are you being prejudiced to those young people standing next to you? Yeah, because uh, I gave birth to them. Because they're my biological children. That's not prejudice, that's the reality of life. When God instilled the soul into a Jew, it's a different category of relationship. Only the Jewish people are the children of God. Now all of mankind is eligible to gain that relationship. But the Jewish people have a birthright that we are banim atem l'ashem aleikechem. This is explicit in Perkei Avos. Chaviv adam shenivra b'tzelem. Man is beloved because he was created in the image of Hashem. All of mankind is created in the image of Hashem. Chaviv in Yisrael. The Jewish people are especially beloved. Shenikra'u banim l'amakim. Now, let's say you have a king and somebody goes into the king's palace and somebody insults the king. Hey, king, you look really weird today. So the king says, off with his head. Halachically, can a king say, you know what? I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be tolerant. I'm going to let, let that, that slide. No, there's a halacha. Melech shemachal al kevoidai, ein kevoidai machal. A king who wants to forgo his honor, he's not authorized to. But what if a father, he comes into the dining room and the child is sitting in the father's seat. Now you know there's a, a, a halacha, there's a rule of Jewish law that a child may not sit in a parent's seat. Can a parent say, it's okay, mamala, it's okay, yingala, it's okay, yeah, little boy, it's okay, you could sit in my seat. Can a father forego, could a mother forego his or her honor? Yes. Av shemachal al machal. A parent who forgoes his honor, the honor is, is forgiven. Therefore, says the Chidah, that's the difference between Hashem's relationship with the Jewish people and Hashem's relationship with the nations of the world. The nations of the world, God is their king. And they are his subjects. And he cannot forego his honor. And if they sin... God could still reward them for the good deeds that they have done, but there's no way for them to erase from the record. They have not been given the great gift of tshuva because tshuva is a gift only given to the children of Hashem because God to the Jewish people acts in His capacity as our Father and we are His children. And if Hashem says, you know, even though the person did not vera, but I'll be moichal them, God could do that because He's our Father, but He's not the Father of the nations of the world. This is a basic principle in Jewish thought. Now, that's the mechanism of the gift of tshuva. The mechanism of tshuva is God acting as our Father, forgiving His honor. Now we're going to take it to the next level. 
Okay? Fasten your seatbelts. If you're like a little tired, now's the time to sit up on your chair and listen very carefully because now we're going to learn the two basic levels of tshuva. The Gemara Masechta Yuma on folio 86 brings two statements of the great Amora Reish Lakish. And the Gemara says, you know, the Gemara asks a contradiction. In one verse it says that if somebody commits an intentional sin and they do teshuva, the sin is downgraded to unintentional. You know, in Jewish law, there's a difference whether somebody sins intentionally or unintentionally. So if somebody sins intentionally, so back in the day when there were Jewish courts, there could have been a penalty administered by the Jewish court if somebody sinned intentionally and they were warned not to do so. But if somebody sins unintentionally, there's no specific punishment administered by the court, but somebody may have to bring a sacrifice, a karban, to gain atonement. Says the Gemara that if somebody does tshuva, let's say they intentionally do an avera, and then they do tshuva, the avera is downgraded and it's reckoned as an unintentional sin. You know, somebody's in the, they get a ticket, at least in New York, so the ticket, you got to pay 350 bucks and you get points on the license. So you go to the judge and you get an attorney, you plea bargain. So just, okay, pay the fine, you get the points off, right? You could, you could have something like that. So we could recognize, even in a regular judicial system, you could have a process of atonement where the punishment is downgraded. So the Gemara says that if somebody sins and they do tshuva, the sin is downgraded from intentional to unintentional. But then the Gemara says that's not consistent with another statement of Rish Lakesh. Rish Lakesh stated elsewhere that if somebody sinned intentionally and they do tshuva, they repent, the sin is transformed into a mitzvah. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? Here a person could have done an Avera, they could have gone to McDonald's, maybe they did it intentionally, or probably... Maybe they didn't know, they didn't, they didn't have a Jewish education, and they may have eaten something that was not kosher, and then they learn about the importance of kosher food, and they repent. So now, the sin they committed is transformed. It's like they ate matzah. So I'm going to ask, which one is it? Is the sin downgraded, or is the sin transformed? Says the Gemara, it depends what kind of teshuva you do. What does that mean? There are two kinds of Repentance. You could repent out of fear. Uh-oh, I'm reading the Chumash. The Chumash says that if I do this sin, I incur the wrath of the Almighty. I want to be healthy. I want my children to be healthy. I want to have livelihood. I better repent that sin. I better get that sin off the record. So God says, okay, let, let me get this. Why are you repenting? You're repenting. You feel you did something wrong or you don't want to get punished. Oh, you don't want to get punished. So you don't inherently regret what you're doing. I will downgrade intentional to unintentional. But what if somebody says, God, I can't believe I sinned against you. You give me so much. You gave me a bagel this morning with lox and egg salad. And usually I have good air conditioning. And I have oranges. And I have clothing. And I have a family and my joints are working, and I don't have a headache this morning, and I could move 
all of my ten fingers and all of my limbs and nothing's hurting me? Do you know for a person not to be in excruciating pain, how many billions of processes have to be working properly not to be in excruciating pain? And for the vast majority of our life, everything's working pretty well. And you've given, you gave me parents, and you gave me family, and you gave me community, and you gave me everything I have, and the least I could do is at least fulfill the few things you ask of me, and I've sinned against you. God, I repent because I love you. That's the higher level of tshuva. Then your sin is transformed into a mitzvah. Can you imagine that? Imagine somebody, let's say they grew up, they didn't know about certain mitzvahs, and they elevate their level of education, and they realize, you know, I have a nice suit over here. You know, if you get a, 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 a designer suit, you got to check it for shotness. You know, you can't wear an article of clothing with wool and linen in it. It's not such a big deal. You know, you'll, you'll ask your local Orthodox rabbi what type of clothing need to be checked. How do I check it? Some many things don't have to be checked. And you know, I, I never knew that. I was I, I once wore a garment with wool and linen, and I didn't know about that. And now that I know, God, I love you so much. I'm not going to do that again. So then, the wearing of that clothing is transformed into a good deed, into a mitzvah. It depends how you do tshuva. If you do tshuva out of fear, the sin is downgraded. If you do tshuva out of love, the sin is transformed into a mitzvah. Says the Chida, that is the message of I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. Because the month of Elo is the month of repentance. And Shlomo HaMelech is teaching the Jewish people, what kind of repentance should we strive for in the month of Elo? Not a repentance out of fear, necessarily, out of awe, out of reverence, although that's a basic level of two and that's important as well. But the goal, the ambition, what we're striving for is what I call premium tshuva. You don't want to have an American Express card, you want to have American Express premium. Everything in this world, people want premium. You want your coffee, premium. You want your gasoline, premium. You don't want to pay for premium, but you would like it to be premium. Everything in life you want premium. Nobody ever wants to suffice with regular, ordinary things. It's the same thing with tshuva. Why downgrade your sin when you could transform it into a mitzvah? Ani l'doidi, I am for my beloved. I'm reminding myself in this month, my repentance should be out of love of Hashem, not fear of Hashem. You know, we have a very interesting practice on Yom Kippur. You know, we confess publicly as a community on Yom Kippur. Right? When you confess, you bend down a little bit and the community sings together. Yeah, we sing it. If you think of the absurdity of that, that we're singing... I stole, I robbed, and I committed heinous crimes. Na, 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 na. We killed, we robbed banks, and we assaulted. Na, 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 na. I mean, it's ridiculous. We're singing about these terrible crimes that we did, and I'm sanitizing it because I don't even want to translate all the things that we're, we're, um, we're confessing. Why would we sing the confession? We, we should like, probably, 
you know, cover our faces in utter shame and oh, <laughs> nah, we sing it like we'd be singing something at the circus. Why are we singing the confession? So says the Tiferes Yisrael, the reason why we sing the confession is because we're trying to do tshuva and repent out of love of Hashem, out of, out of simcha, out of happiness. Because when you recognize that every sin that we may have committed in the past, if we confess with the proper mindset and the proper attitude, not only is the sin erased, but it's actually transformed into a mitzvah, so it's a very happy time. Right? Imagine if a person had tremendous credit card debt. And instead of working at a deal that his debt was forgiven, he was able to get an attorney who transfer, transforms his debt into credit. See, imagine you go into the office, you owed $12,000, and you walk out with a $15,000 check. That's going to be a pretty impressive transaction. So think about what's happening on Yom Kippur. Not only are you wiping your slate clean, but you actually, you come out of the day in the green. You're ahead. You've transformed all the Averos, all the sins, into mitzvahs. One of the prayers I see on the table, there's a simanim platter, right? We have simanim on Rosh Hashanah. Now that's a very complicated subject. Because even though, yeah, Jewish tradition, eat sweet fruits on, on Rosh Hashanah, I mean, think about it. Does this make any sense? God is sitting in heaven. He's analyzing our record. How many mitzvahs we did. How many averos we did. And then God said, oh, she ate an apple. Okay, I'm going to give her a good year. You think eating an apple is going to give us a good... This is a real judgment. Imagine if somebody was being tried in, in a judicial system. And the judge is going through the person's record. And the judge sees the guy eat, munching on an apple. You think his, his or her judgment is going to come out better because they ate an apple? What's the whole idea of the simanim? Go to TorahAnytime.com. There's a good class on that. But now we're going to stick to the topic. One of the prayers that we ask for on Rosh Hashanah is Yihiratzayin Mofanecha Hashem Lakein Mokedavaseinu May it be your will, God Shayirbu Zechuyoseinu That we should have a lot of merits. So we eat a food that means a lot of. So sometimes there's a tradition to eat carrots. In Yiddish, carrots are merin. So by eating the carrots, it's a way of inspiring a prayer. God, I want to have merin, more merits. Now, does that make any sense? You're going to pray to God, God, give me more merits. There's one thing that God cannot do for you. He can't do good deeds for you. Only you could do good deeds. The, the Talmud tells us, Everything is in the hands of heaven except for your actions. That is the concept of Bechira Chavshis, free will. You know, the beauty of Judaism is that we are the only religion that believes in free choice. We are not compelled to act in the right path or in the wrong path. God controls everything in this world. How much money we make, whether we're going to be successful in this business deal or a different one. Every footstep we take, everything is preordained except for 
Good deeds and bad deeds, that's totally within our control. God withdraws from man and He says, that's up to you, pal. I don't, I don't guide you, I don't control you, I don't impact that. So how could we pray, God, I want to have a lot of good deeds. God says, you want to have a lot of good deeds? So get up from your chair, stop eating carrots and go do them. Here's what the prayer is for. You know how God could help us get good deeds? If He helps us do tshuva out of love, then what we could do is transform all of our wrongdoings into good deeds. That's a very simple way to gain many, many good deeds. Now let's try this. You know, on Rosh Hashanah, we blow two sets of shofar blasts, two sets of tekios. Tekios de Miyushav, the shofar blasts that are blown before the silent Shemona Esrei, and Tekios de Meumad, the shofar blasts that are blown during the Shemona Esrei, during the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. There are two sets. We basically do it twice. If you want to know, I don't understand. I have to be in Shul so long, I have to hear the shofar first before the tefillah, and then during the tefillah. I mean, can't we just do it once, and then I could go home and eat more carrots? So we blow the shofar twice. 30 before and 30 during. And the Gemara asks, why do we blow the shofar so many times? Why twice? And the Gemara says something astounding. The Gemara says, it's on your sheet of number 16, in Masech Rosh Hashanah, Tezayin Amid Aleph. Elama, lama toikin marian kishayin yoishvin, the toikin marian kishayin oimdin. Why do they blow when they're sitting and when we're standing? Kidei le'arbev hasatan. We want to confuse Satan. We want to get him good and confused. How do we confuse a Satan by blowing twice? So listen to how Rashi explains this. Rashi was the greatest medieval commentary on the Bible and on the Talmud. Rashi tells us, you know how we're going to confuse the Satan? When the Satan sees how much the Jewish people love doing mitzvahs, that we blow the shofar before and after, we do it twice, the Satan's going to say, oh no, the Jews love doing mitzvahs so much, I'm out of here, and he runs away and he forgets to prosecute and to instigate. Because we know, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, the judicial system that takes place is the same way it takes place down here in this world. Every person stands before God, God is the ultimate arbiter, and they're prosecuting attorneys and they're defense attorneys. The prosecuting attorney is the Satan. He says, God, this person this year, he did X, he did Y, they did Z, and, and uh, the Satan, and God said, really? And the Satan says, yeah, it's on video. There are video cameras everywhere, wherever you go. Where? Your cell phone, you know, or, or your computer. The government's always spying on you. So the Satan takes all the videos and they bring it up. And, but then you have defense attorneys, all the mitzvahs you've done. But when the Satan sees how much the Jewish people love doing mitzvahs, he stops the prosecution and he runs away. So one of the great rabbis of the 18th century, Rabbi Kiva Eger, asks... I don't understand. If the Satan sees how much the Jewish people love doing mitzvahs, then he should prosecute more. He should intensify his efforts. He should strengthen himself. Why would he run away? Says Rabbi Akiva Eger, 
When the Satan sees how much we love doing mitzvahs, he says, uh-oh, these people love God. If they love God, then when they repent, they're going to be repenting out of love. Then every sin that I tell God about, God is going to transform into a mitzvah. So I'm working against myself. I don't want to tell God about all the sins they, they did, because then God's going to transform them into good deeds. I'm better off not telling God about their sins. And the satan runs away. This is the idea that tshuva me'ahava, tshuva out of love, is a transformative experience. It can take a person's wrongdoing and actually transform them into mitzvahs. You know, there's an amazing passage in the Talmud. The Gemara tells us an astounding statement. The Gemara says, "Bimakoim shabale tshuva oimdem." In a place where Baalei Tshuva, people who repent, in a place where repentance stand, even people who are righteous their whole life never reach that level. You ever hear that statement of Chazal? It's really a mind-blowing uh, statement. That in a place where Baalei Tshuva stand, that the Baalei Tshuva, people who grew up not observant, and change their ways are on a higher pedestal in the eyes of God than someone who is righteous their whole life. How could that be? How could somebody who committed sins and repented be greater in the eyes of Hashem than someone who never sinned? So the Chidah explains very simply. Anybody here want to take a little poll? Anybody know how many mitzvot are there in the Torah? 600, who said that? Excellent. Give her another bagel. 613. How many positive commandments in the Torah? What? Very good. 248. My hostess got very... 248. How many negative commandments? Well, 613 minus 248 is 365. Here's an example of 248 positive commandments. You have the mitzvah of Shema twice a day. Tzitzis, Tefillin, Shabbos, Kiddush on Shabbos is a positive commandment. Honoring the Shabbos is a positive commandment. There are 248 positive commandments, 365 negative commandments. Now, the Tzaddik Gamor, someone who grew up righteous their whole life, is limited in the number of good deeds they could do. After all, there are only 248 positive commandments. But someone who sinned, and then had the sin transformed into a mitzvah, that's a good deed that the person who was observant their whole life never did. For instance, let's say somebody ate something not kosher. Now don't try this at home. Let's say it happened. That somebody didn't know. And they repent. And they regret. And they confess. And they don't do it again. Chassam Sofer, the great rabbis writes, that sin is transformed into eating carbon Pesach. Now, someone who is righteous their whole life never ate from the carbon Pesach because there's no temple. But someone who sinned and transformed into a mitzvah now actually has more mitzvahs on their record than someone who is righteous their whole life. So in a certain respect, someone who is a Baal Tshuva is elevated to a greater pedestal than someone who never sinned to begin with. Now let me tell you a little story. 
So there was a, a shidduch that was made. You heard about this? This it's breaking news. Young man from a very poor family. The father was a shoemaker, and he is engaged to marry this girl. Her father is the financier of the entire town. She comes from very well-to-do stock. And the father-in-law is going to make a wedding like you never saw. It's going to be in the most elegant hall. And they're going to be a 25-piece band and cuisine being served. So she comes from great wealth. And uh, the, the boy is what we call Aniva Evian. He doesn't have a penny to his name. So the two mechutanim, the two future father-in-laws, they get together and they say, Look, we know our situations. The father of the girl says, I'm going to cover everything. I'm going to pay for the flowers, the liquor, the orchestra, the photographer. I'm going to pay for everything. You don't have to do anything. Just do me a favor, get your son a nice suit, and that's your only responsibility. Okay? They shake on it. And the father of the uh, groom, he's still poor. And he can't really afford such a nice suit. So he takes him to some bargain basement place. And he buys him a shmata of the suit for, I don't know, $197. It's a second-hand suit. It's decent. They send it to the cleaners. And the chassan is headed toward, toward, uh, to his wedding. He's on the way to the wedding. As he is about to get out of the car, as he gets out, the, out of the car, it's pouring outside. He slips and he falls and he tears his suit and he falls into the mud and he walks into the wedding a mess. And the father-in-law, the father of the, of the girl says, I don't understand. All I told you to do is get your kid a decent suit. And he comes in like a slob. It's not our fault. We got him a good suit. It was raining. He slipped. He tore. He said, all right, all right. I'll cover the suit. But now when I cover the suit, I'm not buying a $197 basement bargain suit. I'm going to bring in my custom tailor. I'm going to buy him a $1,000 suit the way I buy a suit, not the way you buy a suit. Says the Dubna Magid, it's the same thing with a mitzvah. When someone who is righteous their whole life performs a mitzvah, as holy as they may be, as observant as they may be, nobody could do a perfect mitzvah. Every mitzvah we do, you could always scrutinize it, you could always analyze it. Did it fulfill every detail of halachic requirement? Was it done with love of Hashem, with fear of Hashem, with connection to Hashem? Was it done maybe by road a little bit? Even the biggest tzaddik cannot bring into his repertoire a perfect mitzvah. But if someone did navera, someone sinned, and they do tshuva out of love. And God transforms their sin into a good deed. When the Lord gives the good deed, He's not giving your kind of good deed. He's giving His kind of good deed. And the His kind, the good deed of Hashem, is the perfect mitzvah. So actually, when somebody has sinned, and they repent out of love, the good deed that Hashem bestows upon the person is a pristine, perfect, glistening, beautiful, good deed. It's a divine gift from Shamayim. This 
is one of the greatest aspects of the tshuva process, where not only do you free yourself from impending repercussion, not only do you cleanse your soul, you actually transform the sin into a mitzvah. And therefore, again, the Chida reminds us that the month of Elul is Ani, not Hashem, not Leiloikim, not Litzvakais. It's Ani Ledoidi, I am for my beloved. Don't forget what kind of tshuva to do. So you say, love of God. I'm not that righteous to say, I love God. No, it's interesting in the, in the Sefer Chovos Halvabos, which is one of the classic works of Jewish thought, he describes ten levels of connection to Hashem. Love of Hashem is the highest level. But on the other hand, the Vilna Gaon teaches you could teach love of Hashem even to a little child. You know, when I was a, a bachar, when I was a young man, before I got married, I was learning in Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim, and I used to go on Shabbos very often to Brooklyn, to a great tzaddik, Rabbi Avigdor Miller, Zechazak Levracha. I used to walk to his shul on Shabbos quite often. And Rabbi Miller used to teach that love of Hashem is one of the 613 mitzvahs. You know, at the very least, Mishnah Bura teaches us when you say in Shema, the Ahavta is Hashem Aleikacha, you should love Hashem, you should have in mind, I am now fulfilling the mitzvah of loving Hashem. The Mishnah Bura writes in a different work in the uh, Sefer Shemir's Halashon, don't even eat breakfast in the morning until you know that at least that day you've thought and you've fulfilled the mitzvah of loving Hashem. Loving Hashem is a mitzvah. Just because you could do it any time, it doesn't mean you should never do it. You should try to focus on it at least once a day. But Rav Miller would say, you know, sometimes we're distracted and we're busy and we don't have the wherewithal to stop for a moment and say and think to ourselves that we love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So he would say, once a day, say these powerful words. Four words that will change your life. Once a day, say, I love you Hashem. Because there's a psychological principle. The words you say affect the way you think and the way you feel. And by saying those words, it will engender within you a love of Hashem that's already buried deep within your heart. And by saying it, it will activate that feeling. And remember, he would say, well, if you're embarrassed to say it, so go into a telephone booth and make a long-distance phone call and say, I love you, Hashem. So you say, there are no more telephone booths. That's why God created cell phones. So you can walk down the street, and while everybody else is... You know, most people when they talk on the cell phone, they're not actually talking to anybody, because nobody wants to talk to them. They're just making believe that someone's talking to them, because they don't want to feel left out, because everyone else is talking on their phone. So you pick up your phone, and you could say, I love you, Hashem, and if you're embarrassed to do that, you could send a text, WhatsApp, email... Once a day. Because what that would, that would be dynamite. Because the neshama, as we mentioned, of a Jew is already the child of Hashem. So there is a deep instinctive love already within the Jewish soul that loves his father, loves her father. But it's buried. 
we're not in touch with it. And by saying these words, we activate it. And especially during this season, when we're thinking about our actions, we're trying to improve our actions, we're trying to repent, don't forget, our motivation should be love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ani l'doidi, I am for my beloved. We know Hashem loves us, and we love Him in kind. So there's a little boy. He was playing on the beach. And his class was at the beach, and they were playing all the way up away from the water, and this little boy was all the way down by the water, and the Rebbe looks from a distance, and the, the boy is playing there, and he's waving something, he's waving. And the, the rabbi comes to him and says, why are you away from the rest of the boys? What are you doing over here? He says, what do you mean? I'm waving my flag. He says, who are you waving it to? I'm waving it to a boat. The rabbi says, which boat? The boy says, it's going to be a big boat sailing miles down in the heart of the sea. The rabbi said, why are you waving the flag at the, at the boat? He said, no, not the boat, I'm waving it at the captain. The rabbi says, why would you think the captain would see your flag? And what do you think the captain is going to do? So the kid said, the captain's going to see my flag and he's going to wave back. The rabbi said, come on, give me a break. The captain's not going to see you, and if he sees you, why would he wave back to you? And the boy says, because the captain is my dad. The captain is my father. Ani l'doidi. I am for my beloved. How can we be so confident that our beloved will respond in kind? How could we say with certainty, v'doidi that Hashem will respond to us? Because we know with certainty that as much as we love Hashem, Chafetz Chaim writes, do you know what the greatest love in this world is? More than you love your spouse, more than you love your children, more than you love your parents, more even than you love yourself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you. So if we commit ourselves in the month of Elul, Ani L'doidi, I am for Hashem, then we are confident and we are certain li Hashem will respond in kind and He gifts us this great gift of tshuva which not only cleanses us, which not only elevates us, it transforms our averos into good deeds and in a place where even the most righteous can stand, those who repent are elevated to the highest pedestal in the eyes of Hashem. So I wish you all success on your journey of tshuva a happy and healthy sweet new year. Thank you so much. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, I know everyone, it's, uh, we, it, the time is a little bit late. If anyone has any questions, um, please ask. If uh, anyone have any questions. All right, you've been a great audience. Yeah, That's one question. Over. Oh, one question, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay, that's a good point. I, I actually omitted that because of its complexity, but now you're asking, let me just address it head on. Can a person do tshuva even for the most severe sins? Because just to make the question, magnify the question, you know, the Gemara says that there are certain sins that repentance can't take off, Yom Kippur can't take off, trials and tribulations, difficulties can't cleanse, not until a person passes on. And many sources teach us, the Chida, the Minchas Chinach, the Bnei Yisachar, 
that that's when you do tshuva out of fear. But when you do tshuva out of love, since the sin is transformed into a mitzvah, tshuva is effective for any sin, even the most severe. Okay, thank you, thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.